You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Morning. Recorded live. Going to be in, of course, 1 John chapter 4 starting around verse 12. I had thought as I was sitting there, listening to all that's been said and read, and, you know, um, there isn't a thing that we do that's the right thing that we do for the right reason when we do it for God, for the Lord, for the brethren, there isn't one thing I, I don't believe that will ever be useless or meaningless in this world or the, or the time to come as far as that goes. I think everything that happens here is just part of, the, of a huge narrative that God will have um, in, not only in his mind but available for all to know. Uh, in a spiritual sense. So, um, to me that's encouraging because I think a lot of folks feel that they're kind of out there on their own a lot of times. And you might be, uh, but in reality, um, the things you do have a lasting effect. Well, Considering our lesson today, I want to start with just a simple little statement that's a profound subject from C.S. Lewis, and he wrote this in 1943 um, concerning the fact of God is good. And he wrote a book that was entitled The Poison of Subjectivism. Wow, if those things... Anyway, uh, I have not read that, but I've read quotations out of it, but uh, we we all know that's a real problem within the body of faith, is this idea of subjectivism is confused. But he said this, God is not merely good, but goodness. Goodness is not merely divine, but God. You see how it just keeps going in that circle? That's why Jesus made it, sure, made it certain that nobody's going to get into that circle. It starts with God. It ends with God. We look on it, and we should see goodness. So I believe C.S. Lewis understood the words of Jesus when Jesus said, in response to someone calling him good teacher, he said, only God is good in the understanding of what that really means, goodness. Uh, Brother David used that this morning in his lesson, as part of his lesson about the goodness of God. And I think there's a lot of things, much about God, that the minds and hearts of mankind uh, is not aware of normally. 
And one of the things is, as we spoke in the Bible class this morning, the idea that he is hidden. But he's not hidden to be aloof or disagreeable. He's not even hidden so he won't be bothered. But he has caused himself to be hidden, although we made it clear he might be hidden, but he's not silent. But he is hidden for the idea that we will be benefited by it. Because those that diligently seek him uh, through what he has given us and his goodness will be blessed. And we are. So that idea, uh, I guess if we really look at it closely, I think the things that God has done uh, for his creation have never been done in any spirit of malice at all. And that's comforting. And one of the reasons is, um, in our text today, we're going to find um, what some folks feel is a, a statement that has been, is out of place in verse, in verse 12, how it begins. Here's how it begins. No man hath beheld God at any time. And many commentators say, we don't know why that's in there. (laughs) Well, uh, of course, that doesn't predicate anything important, really, why, if they don't know. Um, it, It does take a little thinking about it. But anyway, verses 12 and 13, let's hear them. I'm reading from the American Standard Version. No man hath beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abideth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we abide in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. That's 12 and 13. No one has seen God at any time is to me a real blessing for faith. Our faith wouldn't be faith if this wasn't true. We couldn't call it faith. We'd have to have another name for it. But God knows that this is the means of faith. This is how faith is born. And also... Um, the Apostle John wrote in his gospel in the first chapter, verse 18, pretty much the exactly the same words about no man hath beheld God at any time. But let's go to um, Exodus 33, verses 17 through 23, because this is the account. You see, this is the origins of this idea. Uh, in other words, what the apostle said about God and that no one has seen him any time is absolutely true. And there's a reason for it, of course, that we'll read in, uh, uh, in other verses here. Verse 17 through 23. And Jehovah said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken For thou hast found favor in my sight, and I know thee by name. 
By the way, that was Moses that he knows. And he said, show me, I pray, thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and will proclaim the name of Jehovah before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Jehovah said, Behold, there is a place uh, by me, and thou shalt stand upon the rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand, until I have passed by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now that's the origin of that. I think we must have at least six hymns written from that text alone. (laughs) I recognize the, the wording, even the phrasing. That's the account. Um, that's God is making it clear that man, no man shall see his face and live. He's talking about in the flesh. Moses wanted to see, um, and I think that is not an is not a bad thought. You know, we want to see, we we want to visualize everything we can. But in um, let's go to the the Gospel of John. Uh, Chapter 14, which is a chapter (laughs) that has so much in it, we could spend years there and still not be able to understand it all, or we just want to keep going over and over it. But in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is there with his apostles or disciples, the twelve. That's the group. And they've been talking about, Jesus had been talking about going away and and uh, going to prepare, prepare a place for them, that is the apostles, where his father was, and that he would re- come back. But they, the apostles, had a lot of questions. But in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now remember, this is Jesus talking to his apostles. Verse 8, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. That would be enough for them, he said. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and dost not know me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou, Show us the Father? We're going to go on and read verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say unto you, I speak not from myself. But from the Father abiding in me doth his work. And that's something we never want to forget about the ministry of Jesus. 
You see, that's the New Testament reality of, if you want to call it, seeing God. Uh, They wanted to see with their eyes, (laughs) and I believe that's a natural thought. Why? Because they had such admiration for God. He was their God. And they wanted to see. But Jesus made it clear, if you... If you have seen me, in other words, see what I uh, see, what I do, hear what I say. Everything that I do, God is doing for you. God is speaking to you, and that's why it's it's um, it's difficult for me to understand why some would say this this um, statement is out of order. In other words, no one has seen God at any time. Because it's something that needs to be established because of some of the things that happen to folks. I think John the Apostle was probably, and I'm supposing, but seeing as though this, this problem has been around a long time, I think he dealt with it first, was dealing with those statements of false teachers and false prophets and, and etc. But friends, have, have you ever heard in your hearing Anyone say to you or to a group you were in that God spoke to me? Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm sorry to say I have. And it's shocking every time I hear it. Because, of course, if that is true, then so much else is just completely negated in the reality of of the the relationship between God and man, in in my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I know, sometimes it starts that way, but it does get disarmed, thank goodness. But they always, of course, they're going to reveal what they heard, right? And where does that leave you or the group? after hearing such words. Where does that put you? Now, many people, I think, take this way too lightly because of the comments, just like we've heard along with this, well, maybe he was reading the Bible and, and, uh, or maybe this verse just came to his, his, his mind and, or maybe he had a dream, he woke up and he, and he heard and he's repeating what God said, but maybe, well, a lot of maybes. So unless it's clarified, friends, um, and if they don't say that these things came to their remembrance from the reading of the scripture or something of that sort, you're left in a very uh, precarious position. I think of, <laughs> I think of Joseph Smith who was the founder of the Mormon group. And, you know, early on in his ministry, he went about preaching that God spoke to him. God spoke to him. God told him this. God told him that. And, of course, God always told him that everybody else was wrong, but he was right. That was one of the things. But, you know, it wasn't very long, maybe a a number of years, uh, he met up with a man who was actually a preacher, had been trained, 
Sidney Rigdon, and he had him alter that because the idea was if you keep saying this, you've lost all credibility because what? No man has seen God at any time? Whoops. Well, now they had to make an alteration. And I think they started with Jesus and then they ended up with an angel. But nonetheless, uh, before it was over, I don't think old Joe knew who he spoke, who he had been speaking to. (laughs) So anyway, uh, that's enough of that. But the Bible is clear that God is no respecter of persons. In Acts 10.34, that's what it says. Peter says that to the house of Cornelius because he was a Jew, the gospel was for the Jews, but now the gospel was for the Gentiles. God is no respecter of persons. Deuteronomy 10.17 is where this thought comes from, originates. It says, God shows not partiality. Now, you know, we can say that we're not partial, but I know God isn't. I'm not commenting on on myself. God has spoken through his word, the Bible, to say he told you or me privately anything else, even if it sounds very churchy because so much of it does. You'd swear it was in there somewhere. It would be impossible because God would would be breaking his own his own teaching, his own word concerning this idea. So it's either impossible or it's a lie. Now I'm not going to go any further with this because I know, you know, I've said this before and I had someone immediately pop up with, Yeah, but Jesus said anything is possible with God. Well, if he'd have went on like he can change what his mind anytime he feels like it, he, even that, he, it's not there. <laughs> but God is clear in this. I don't see this anywhere. And that's why it needs to be, this is a solid here. God is not a respecter of persons. And, um, and that's why we don't need to go any further with it. God, because God, to know God is to know that he limited his words to his book for us. And he's keeping himself hidden. All of this is for our own good. We are blessed by it. Now, let's look at, because a lot of folks wonder, how how are we blessed by the fact that we can't see our God? Well, uh, Hebrews 11.6. These these verses in First John they just need to be uh, worked on, if you will, and expanded upon. Hebrews eleven, of course, the chapter is fraught with good teaching. Hebrews eleven six, one of my favorite uh, passages, because it's speaking about God being well pleasing to God. That's what verse 5 was talking about. But verse 6, it says, And while faith, and or, excuse me, and without faith, it is impossible to be, to be well-pleasing unto him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that seek 
after him. That's 11.6. That's a verse that many people quote and, and many people are aware of. But it, it's based on, it's based on the, the concept of faith. And faith, without faith, we, we, have, uh, we really have no hope. Because the Hebrews, the, um, the 11th chapter, just verses one, 1 through 3, my Bible says this, now faith is, is uh, assurance, or the, uh, another reading of that is the substance of, of things hoped for. In other words, now faith is the substance of things, not uh, things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. For therein the elders had witness borne to them. And in faith, we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God so that what is seen hath not been made out of things which appear or out of things which were. Now, this idea of faith is is very important. The Apostle John knew that those saying such things as God was speaking to them and telling them something else to teach, was well, they were saying these things to bolster their own position within the the church or those that were listening to them. But in fact, what they were really doing was robbing themselves of any chance to expand their own faith. In fact, these false teachers and, and, and those that were doing these things were doing great violence to their own capacity of faith. You know, once you you make a statement like this, somebody's waiting for you to say it again. You're going to have to have God speak to you more and more. Before it's over, you could write your own book. Some of the TV preachers are, if these things have been recorded and they put them all together, I don't know how much sense it would make. But believe me, they've been hearing a lot of voices. He did. That's right. The capacity of faith is brought to an end when we start speaking like this. And then much harm done to the listeners, of course. No, God's remedy for this is revealed in verse 12. Because what, what he says, No man hath held, beheld God at any time if we love one another God abideth in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, that's the reason that he said this. It comes back to the issue of loving one another and then God is abiding in those that do so and his love is perfected in us in that way. If we love one another, his love will complete us is the idea of the word perfecting there. He will, his love will complete us to accomplish his purpose for us. And I added that. So we have no need of voices and visions in the church today. There was a time in the first century when we had New Testament prophets, when we had apostles that were uh, 
that Christ was speaking to. There were certain gifts of this and gifts of that, but they came to a conclusion at the fulfillment of everything we needed. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13.10 talks about when the perfect comes, um, these other things will fade away. They'll not be needed. So uh, I think that that's my concept or my way of thinking about that. And um, because there's lots of folks that seem to have what we would call a little higher relationship with God than maybe those that came to hear them speak. And I think that's very, very, very dangerous. Yes. Yes, it would be. Yeah, among us. And that that mis- that is usually overlooked even in the even in the good renditions. But among us, now <laughs> the issue of the usins and the weans I'm going to I'm going to talk about too. Speaking of doing violence, uh we don't want to do violence to the text ourselves. The next point is the understanding of abiding in and a lot of our scriptures have different words for that. Uh, the Greek word there is uh, meno. There's a number of words for that are used in for that English word. They have a little bit different meanings. Uh, the meaning for this one means to to remain or stay. It's it's not the word that's sometimes used in the New Testament word uh, talking about pitching a tent. Or the idea of uh, of a you know a structure of some kind. This means to remain or stay, uh, and I think that's important. Um, now, as I said, we need to make sure that we don't do any violence to the grammar in these verses in the writings ourselves or or. Um, because if we try to write ourselves in, or even the first uh, um, the first readers of this epistle into the the us and the we, or the as David says, usins and weans, then we're going to have a problem. In the us and we, John is speaking first of of he and the other apostles first. Now. There is a connection between us and the apostles, remember. There's a connection. Don't think you're just cut out, because you're not. But they had this connection first. They speak of these things from a personal point of view and deliver it to those that hear them or or read their writing. So let's look again at verse 13. Um, verse 13 hereby we know that we abide in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit alright now compare that to uh, we, we find the we in him and he in us there compare that to 1 Corinthians 2 
verses 14 and 16. Now, this that was John that we just read there, the Apostle John, now the Apostle Paul, writes, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. And Paul's been talking about the idea of the natural man and the spiritual man, but in verse 14, uh, now the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and he cannot know them because they are spiritually judged. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, and he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. The we there is a reference once again to the apostles of Christ. It's very easy for us to put our ourself in the we there if we're if we don't really care what it says. But we can't. You know what? We want the apostles to have the mind of Christ because if they didn't, where would we be? I didn't want their best judgment, their best recollection, or their best thoughts. I want the mind of Christ in the apostles. And you know what? If you look on the Greek, I think you'll find that it's right there. The we, first person plural, rather hard to go against it. You know, friends, um, it's unarguable, but everything in the scripture is comes from heaven. The grammar is divine. The the message is divine. All that that we have now, because of our translations, we run into some rough spots now and then that are our fault. Uh, we need to work out. We can if we want to. Uh, and this is something I know that this sort of thing is um, is is difficult uh, because it's not talked about too much in other places. And then in verse 14, let me read this to kind of cement this. And we have beheld... And bear witness that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, can we jump in ourselves now to the we in that verse? Can even the readers of this letter, when it first sent out, would they all qualify as the we there? No. It doesn't work, does it? Because if we go back to John, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John 1 through 1 through 4, we know exactly who the we is there, the ones that, that beheld, um, um, beheld and bear witness. Back at the beginning of, of this, this epistle, that we, uh, that which 
was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, and which we beheld, and our hands handled, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare unto you the life, the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you also. That's where we live in the you. That you also may have fellowship with us, yea, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write that our joy may be made full. Our joy or your joy, there's a difference in the text. How can we argue the point here concerning who is being spoken to? And I admit that normally churches and Christians do not read or pay any attention to grammar or rules of interpretation as we do. But I think I may not be out of line in saying I think they should. Why not? Isn't this the diligent effort of our seeking God and what he has said, what he has revealed? I don't think we're that diligent if we're not doing these things. All right. Well, that brings us to the third point in my lesson, but uh, uh, starting with uh, other verses that we'll go into next time we come together with this. But I wanted to make this point. Hopefully, um, since we brought in all these other texts about God being hidden and, and the idea of who is speaking you see, as I said before, and if you don't remember anything else, remember, if the, if the apostles weren't exactly who they said they were, if Paul meant didn't mean what he said when he said that they, the apostles, had the mind of Christ, how do I know that he did? Not, not just because of that, but uh, one of the things that I'll close with is the apostle Peter writes, in his uh, first letter, I believe, that uh, every Christian should have a reason for their hope and be able to share it with others. But Jesus told the apostles, when you come before the the rulers, the judges, and the kings, don't worry about what you're going to say. I will give it to you. You see any difference there? They certainly had, had a little different situation. You see... He, they were his representative, personal representative. And Jesus came from heaven, the Son of God, and represented his Father. The apostles represented Christ and his Father on earth. And when they came before an individual that needed to hear as a leader, a ruler, or a person of authority over other people, they heard from heaven itself through the apostles. Now, in my case, I want to speak the things that the apostles said. And adding to it, such as uh, other voices or visions, 
I think it's highly inappropriate, and and I would have to just almost say that it's not true. If I do it or anyone else, as Paul said, any other gospel that you have heard from anybody else, even another one for me is anathema. It will lead you out of the will of, of God and you'll suffer the punishment for it. And I think that's what this text is about. All right. So that be my invitation today to consider these things, if you would, in light of Scripture. And I thank you for your attention. Let's have our song of, invita- uh, song of invitation. Trusting Jesus. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.